Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin' brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Jill McCorkle. She is the winner of the New England Booksellers Award, the Dos Passos Prize, and the North Carolina Award for Literature. She is a member of the North Carolina Literary Hall of Fame, and she was the first ever author event hosted here at Quill Ridge Books. Jill's, Jill's new book is Hieroglyphics, which is published by our friends at Algonquin Books. She is my former teacher and my friend, Jill. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. It's an honor to have you here. And Jill, I've asked a version of this question to everyone over these past few months, and I'm going to ask you as well. I suspect your answer may be slightly different than most based on the content of your last two novels. My question is, how has your day-to-day life changed under COVID-19, and how are you finding the marketing of your new novel to be going in these conditions? Well, well... Um, you know, cons- considerable change. Uh, I would say in my in my work life, not much change because a lot of my teaching is with the Bennington College Low Residency Program. Um, so that's long distance and solo work, and obviously um, the writing life is a solo uh, process. But but what. I have really missed, of course, are always um, the social, the social end uh, to those work days. So I, I really miss going to the movies, and I really miss seeing people in person. And I'm especially feeling that with this book tour because. Um, you know, no complaints. I mean, it's it's going well, and it's what we have right now, and people are tuning in. But normally, a book tour is a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with friends and and um, former students in places I wouldn't ordinarily be visiting. So I've really missed the one-on-one contact and. Um, you know, I miss hugging my kids when I see them <laughs> mm-hmm. long distance. Absolutely. Thank you, Jill. Um, Your event here with Bell Boggs went very well. Uh, We sold a lot of your books. And this is a reminder to our listeners that if you um, subscribe to Readers Club Plus, you can stream that event with Jill McCorkle and Bell Boggs on demand at QRB TV. Uh, Jill, I want to ask you about the Carl Sandburg quote that opens your novel from his poem, Languages. And this is a chicken-egg question. Uh, which came first, the decision to use the quote or the title for the novel? Um, that is a wonderful question, Jason. Um, and you're the first person to ask me. And and so now I, I have to confess the, the what came first was the title. Mm. Um, I love... I, I love that word, mm. and you don't hear it very often. And so, when I, you know, when I had in my mind that that was the title, I just naturally started exploring out there um, various uses in in literature. And I still came up with a very short list. Um, there, there's 
I'm not going to be able to give it to you right now, but there was also a wonderful Emerson quote. But um, but the Sandberg quote really, really spoke to, I think, the theme of the novel, um, you know, what likely disappears from our lives or, or is never spoken at all. And then add to that that Sandberg himself had... Um, you know, connections in both New England and North Carolina. So um, that made it feel especially right. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jill. And now I would like to talk about the opening chapter with your character, Shelley. In this chapter, a man comes to her door and this man claims that he used to live in Shelley's house and he asks to come inside. Thomas Wolfe says you can't go home again, but this sort of desire to return to scenes from our past happens to many of us. Can you both introduce our listeners to what is happening in this scene? But then, can you talk about the desire many of us have to return to the homes of our past? Yeah, sure. Um, In the opening, Frank and his wife, Lil, have retired to North Carolina after you know 50 years of married life living in in the Boston area and Frank they've they've retired here they have a daughter living in the triangle area um but Frank had spent a portion of his boyhood in not far from where they are in North Carolina because his father, well, his parents were on board a train um, that was involved in a terrible crash in 1943 um, in Rennert, North Carolina, not, not far from Fayetteville or Southern Pines. And as a result, his mother in her convalescence stayed in the area and she also stayed because she's convinced she heard his father um, who was trapped in the wreckage saying, don't leave me. So so Frank has this kind of love-hate relationship with the area. He was devastated as a kid to be uprooted and um, brought to this place, but it also is the last place he ever saw his mother, and so it's all woven into his own memory. So um, here in his 80s, you know, he's, uh, with the encouragement of his wife, he's starting to look back on those memories and and try to revisit um, and sort through. And I, I do think... I, I think we all have that desire, uh, you know, to remember a place, whether, whether it's still there or the way we remember it or not. Um, I, I think there's just this natural kind of homing instinct, you know, that, that um, we're curious. And, and especially if it's a place that does hold some memory or some semblance of comfort which after after hiding from it all these years i think frank um you know really is is reaching out to the relationship he had with his mother and um so that's that's what i saw going on there and shelly shelly um who i love but you know she's just a 
a mess these days. She's got a lot going on in her life, and she's raising her kid, and all she knows is this old man keeps riding by and coming to the door wanting to come in her house, and she's afraid to let him in. Right. Thank you, Jill. And as an aside, I have to tell you that last week I was driving my son, Van, who was four years old, uh, to visit my mother, his grandmother, in South Carolina. And my mother no longer lives in the house I grew up in. But as I drove past my old street, I told my son, hey, your daddy used to live down that road. And he got a very serious look on his face and said, oh, wow. And I said, well, maybe I'll take you to visit there someday. And then he said, yes, and maybe one day I can ride a roller coaster, Um, which is just to say, (laughs) which is just to say that these things that carry weight for us don't necessarily carry the same weight for other people Um, as a reminder. But Jill, telling that story about my son is kind of a bridge to the next question, also about uh, this introductory chapter to Shelley. Uh, this man who comes to Shelley's house, who we um, later learn uh, is Frank, he tells Shelley that he moved into the house when he was 10 and says that his mother and stepfather died in the house. Shelley's young son Harvey says, People died? And this child, Harvey, uh, who has on a Batman mask and has a towel tied around his neck for a cape, soon returns to jumping up and down on the couch and watching television. And Jill, can you talk to us about how, in this short scene, you have three different people, three generations of human beings, really, dealing with the concept of death in three completely different ways? Um... Yeah, you know, and that that's the kind of thing. I mean, you you know yourself from being a writer. We we don't always plan um what ultimately happens on the page. I mean, you you pr- I probably said it in class because I say it often, you know, I think that we will never be as smart as our subconscious and I think that sometimes things naturally happen on the page that we only see with with hindsight and that is one of the reasons that Shelley ended up being the voice that opens the novel because um, I had rearranged it many times once it opened with Frank once it opened with Lil Um, but the Shelley passage really did um, it grounded that house in present time you know, and Frank is like the visit, um, the visit from the past. And Harvey, of course, is image of the future. And and so I did not consciously think through all of that. Um, but then when I had it there, it, it worked. Because for, for a long time, I had the characters of Frank and Lil, who I was invested in. And... Um, you know really drawn to and then i had the shelly harvey story and i kept thinking how did these how did these people connect you know am i writing two different novels um but then once 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 it occurred to me that no they share a physical place you know and frank is an archaeologist or taught archaeology courses um, for much of his career and so as soon as I realized that they had both lived in this same place and I began to think of that house as um, as a kind of time excavation itself you know Shelley and Harvey are now living on top of 
where Frank once lived with his mother and stepfather. And it's that overlay um, and, you know, Frank's childhood memories juxtaposed with Harvey's present life that, um, that pulled it together for me. Excellent. Thank you, Jill. And Frank, as you mentioned, uh, is a retired teacher, and he is not finding retirement to be as sunny as others led him to expect. Uh, He was told that he would love not having to grade papers or not having to create syllabi for classes, but he is finding that to not be true. He misses the tasks and he misses the structure. Jill, as we have discussed, I met you at NC State University when I was a graduate student. You were my teacher, and I suspect these issues that Frank is dealing with here are ones that you know about. Do you find that most retired and instructors, teachers, professors missed the structure of semesters, school years, and grading? Or do you find that most people find freedom from these things to be a relief? Well, it may vary person to person, but I I think I know so many people who depend on and love the kind of structure that that teaching brings. you know, for me, the my my teaching life sort of establishes the calendar, and um, you know, even working in a low residency program, or or I still work as a thesis advisor um, in the program at NC State, and occasionally get to teach. You know, but I just have these routine meetings. Um, which I enjoy tremendously. And and it always makes me appreciate more the time that then is designated as, as my writing time. So I think I'm the kind of person that if I wasn't teaching, I, I would probably need something else that's imposing that kind of um, structure in my life, something that I, I move to and from to balance um, the writing life. Thank you so much for that answer, Jill. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Jill McCorkle. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Jill McCorkle, author of Hieroglyphics, published by our friends at Algonquin. Jill, I would like to talk about the character Lil, who keeps a journal. In Lil's opening chapter, she talks about forgetting things, and she writes, There's no denying that I am forgetting. We all joke about it at a certain age. You will, too. But there's a line you cross when you don't talk about it in the same way. 
And Jill, can you talk about that line, both with your character Lil in mind, and maybe in instances that you have witnessed in your life where that line is and how you recognize when that line has been crossed? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, people do joke. I mean, I I have always been a compulsive list maker anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just turned 62 this summer. And, I, you know, I find with each with each passing year, I need that list a little bit more. Um, but but I do have a mother who is about to turn 91 mm-hmm. and um she has dementia and and has been in nursing for the past decade and and so i remember well um watching her experience those you know those earliest times when when you really know that something is is different and i think you know people often talk about um the difficult passage many people have um, in the beginning of something like dementia and it's because the person is aware Um, you know they are aware of this loss and it's frightening and um, so I think there's a kind of relief when they cross beyond um, but that's a sadness too because they have they have crossed beyond and and settled into a very different place so um i have witnessed that with my mother and of course i have read many books about dementia and um so you know i i think i'm 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 rambling a little bit myself here but I, but i think this whole novel is so much about about memory and the older we get um the more we are composed of memory um, than, than um, you know, all the sort of future aspirations. I mean, certainly there are still things there, um, but, you know, you have a kid like Harvey and the whole world is in the future pretty much. And, um, and for Lil and Frank, uh, the, you know, the present day, it kind of feels like a gift and it's a lot about putting the past into perspective right thank you jill and i would like to stay along similar lines for a moment um and ask about another passage of lil's lil writes my best friend in elementary school was betty conroy she lived down the street and i went to her house almost every afternoon after my mother died then at some point it was just like i stopped going And I don't remember why. And my question, Jill, is, has this ever happened to you? It has happened to me. And I was just thinking about an instance of this type of situation right before I read this passage. Why do you think these types of things happen where childhood friendships just end for reasons that no one can recall? Yeah, you know, I just think, I think we all, you know, venture off on different tracks. I think oftentimes there's even the good intention that you will stay in touch. And then for whatever reason you don't, I I always use that example of, um, you know, summer camp or something when every, you know, on the last day when everybody cries and swaps addresses and they promise they'll, um, they're always going to be that close. And then, you know, a week later, 
people have moved on into another realm and I always think it's pretty wonderful when when those connections do survive or or it's it's pretty great when you reconnect later in life with others um I think good news bad news is um and we're certainly seeing it during this pandemic Mm -hmm. we're pretty adaptable as humans you know Mm -hmm. and um some somehow our brains um help us help us adjust you know because some mornings i get up and i and it will all of a sudden occur to me you know that i i haven't seen my mother since march you know and i i visited weekly and you know now um when i get down there uh that's lumberton uh it's a window visit and of course i'm glad that they're keeping everything safe but but you know every now and then it will just sort of hit me like a shock because you know a year ago if if somebody had told me all of this would be going on i think i would have had a really hard time believing you know that we would be where we are right now and yet here we are zooming and (laughs) we have this whole new vocabulary um you know um lipstick may go out of business (laughs) (laughs) um you know it's just it's it's it is fascinating how adaptable humans are but but i think that at the end of the day we all really crave our connection um to other to other humans and there there is not a substitute for that as as hard as people might try i just really think there's no substitute i agree jill and i don't think you were alone in um stating that you would not have believed the present reality one year ago i've heard that often um i want to return to shelley In one of her later chapters, she references night terrors, uh, when children wake and cry and are too terrified to sleep. Shelley reads up on night terrors and discovers that they can continue uh, until adolescence, and she thinks, Harvey is only six, and the thought of seven more years of this sounds terrible, like some of those plagues in the Bible. Seven years of snakes and locusts and boils, all kinds of bad shit to mess you up. And Jill, I have to ask, is this something you have experience with or know someone that has had experience with? And if so, how did it affect you or them? I ask because I'm not certain this is something someone can understand until they have lived through it. Yeah, you know, I think um, uh, not... I, my experience would not be on, on the, the severe extreme, but I think anyone, anyone with children, you know, you've gotten that scream in the middle of the night and gone running in there to a, to a bad dream or something, or, or, you know, those days when an infant just absolutely cannot be, um, consoled and, and you can't figure out what it is, what it is you've done. And, and um and those memories do stick with you because it's a really helpless feeling and i think it's one of those times as a parent when you realize that um you know you you would do anything to take 
take that away from this person you love and it's a it's a helpless feeling um not to be able to console them it is and it's also a special feeling when you have not slept for two three four five sixteen (laughs) days um yes very much so so Jill, now I want to return to Lil, who, um, in the passage I am about to cite, is writing uh, to Jeff, who she made play the role of a tin soldier in a ballet recital. Jeff's father, she writes, was very upset and told Lil that, quote, if Jeff turned out to be a homosexual, it was her fault, and that if she made him, Jeff, wear tights, then she would be reported to the Department of Social Services, (laughs) end quote. Jill, can you talk about this idea that this character, Jeff's father, has that participating in a ballet or wearing tights might make someone homosexual? Yes, because I, you know, I think the whole... Um, prior generation there were many people you know standing in a very different place that I mean I'm you know their feelings about what it means to be gay and and um, so many people in denial you know of of either themselves or their children and you know I I, I look back on that point of view, you know, with with a real kind of sadness and missed opportunity that a lot of parents might have had with their children, you know, that that such a thing would cause a riff. I mean, you know, Jeff, um, Jeff, it turns out, was not gay, um, but but still, just that that point of view, and so you know, I just wanted to show Frank at that period in his life kind of locked into this more conventional way of thinking um and i think lil has always been a little more open-minded you know perhaps because um her mother who of course died when lil was young her mother was kind of this um free spirit type and um you know who knows to what degree, but I think in Lil's mind, um, her mother just sort of rates as free thinker, free spirit, and that has only grown in Lil's memory over the years. So she is much more open-minded than her husband in those early years. Right. Thank you, Jill. And now, finally, I want to ask you about the idea that Lil writes about involving a secret word amongst spouses that, in the event of one of their deaths, can be used to communicate with one another uh, through the body of someone else or some similar means. Um, I'm a huge basketball fan, Jill, and right before I read that passage, on the same day, uh, I received an autograph from a basketball player named Luka Doncic, who always signs his name Lulu. Uh, So this passage, (laughs) needless to say, jumped out at me. Uh, Can you tell our listeners about this concept of the secret word and where it came from? Yeah, um, you know, I have always been fascinated. I've read years and years ago about how um, Harry Houdini and his wife had this this great plan. They had a word that whoever went first, um, you know, would find a way to 
let the other know that 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 they were existing on the other side and here was the word and i just thought that was so interesting and and then i have a really vivid memory um from high school when my dad came home from work he he worked on the window at the post office in my hometown and he came home one day and he said he had just had this this wonderful emotional day because this gentleman he had never seen before um, came up to the window and said, is everything copacetic? And my dad said, I've never heard that word used except my father used it. And he never saw that man again, you know, somebody just passing through. But I think, you know, for my dad, it, it was one of those wonderful moments where he he felt um, he felt that he had gotten a message from his father and it connected him. And I, th- I think I think words do that for us. I think that kind of um, synchronicity or coincidence, whatever we call it, you know, I think I think there are times in our lives when it happens that it just stuns us in a way that makes us stop and and really think about where we are and what has come before us. And um, that's a lot what this novel is about, those moments of realization of how we connect to the past and to other people who are no longer with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jill. And thank you for writing the spectacular novel and for everything that you continue to do for the literary arts. Listeners, I have been speaking with Jill McCorkle, the author of Hieroglyphics, which is published by our friends at Algonquin. Jill, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jason. And a big a big thanks and shout out to, to Quail Ridge Books. Um, we're, we're just all so grateful for our booksellers and, and all that's being done during this this difficult time to keep people connected and reading. Um, I, I, I love Quail Ridge and, and have since it opened. <laughs> so thank you. It's always a pleasure to be there. Once again, I would like to thank Jill McCorkle for joining me. Signed copies of Hieroglyphics can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been BOOKIN'.